0: It's Tuesday, July 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell, joining me in studio. First time in a long time. It's the Chief Investment Officer of MFAM Funds, Mr. Brian Hinman. Thanks for being here. Chris, it is great to see you. It is great to see you. And it was great to see you yesterday on the streets of Alexandria. You were out for a walk with our colleague, Charlie Travers, and I spotted you. And I was like, oh, wow. Your lasso is strong. Hindman <laughs> tried to hide from me, but I've seen him, and now I have to get him in the studio. Um, and I'm glad you're here because we've got earnings news in consumer products, in housing, or maybe housing adjacent businesses. We got to start with Under Armour. I think the good news for second quarter results for Under Armour were were this: they lost less money than was expected. <laughs> I think that's the good news. Everything else in Under Armour's second quarter looked pretty bad. Sales came in a bit low. Maybe worst of all, and with the stock down about 13% this morning, I'm assuming this is the big driver of the drop, is that they lowered guidance for the rest of the fiscal year in North America. They had previously said, we think it's going to be basically flat in North America in 2019. And now they're like, no, actually, it's going to be worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, the performance in North America is uh, has not been good. Um, sales were down about three percent in the quarter. This is the fourth straight quarter of declines in North America, which is their largest and most important uh, reporting segment. It's actually worse than that because they were the Under Armour changed how they did segment reporting a couple quarters ago. So this is probably nine straight quarters, roughly. Um, but it wasn't just. North America. Uh, you saw international, which has sort of been the only bright spot for them. In Q4, I think sales were up about 25%, 28% in Q1. That growth rate halved to about 12% in Q2. So you don't have North America working, you don't have international working. Look at direct to consumer, which is their own stores. Store count was up 15%, but sales were only up mid single digits, which means that people aren't coming into the store and comps were likely down. So uh, in Kevin Plank's opening remarks, he said something to the effect of, you know, as we're, we enter or we're in the middle of year three of our strategic transformation. I think that just sort of captures what's going on here. Investors are incredibly frustrated, um, and it highlights, you know, being in year three of a transformation, it highlights how much was broken and how much needed to be fixed, and we're just not there yet.
0: And I think this would be maybe not better received from investors, but maybe it would be a little bit more understandable if Under Armour didn't make good stuff, and they appear in general to make quality merchandise. You know, you can point to a couple of examples here or there. NBA star Steph Curry is uh, an Under Armour um, representative, and he came out with a new uh, basketball shoe a year or two ago that, you know, kind of got made fun of. Maybe you know, maybe sales haven't been that good, that sort of thing. So there are those examples, but in general, Under Armour makes really good stuff. So like, what what is the problem here? What when you look at their business? Because I remember th- when Nike's most recent results came out and Nike was starting to do better in North America than they had been there had been there had been a while there where Under Armour shareholders like myself could take a little bit of solace from the fact that well Nike's struggling in North America too well most recent quarter Nike's starting to turn that around and I remember seeing that and thinking okay well then now I know exactly what to look for in Under Armour's next report is are they going to present A similar improvement in North America, and overwhelmingly, the answer is no.
1: Yeah. Under Armour does make good stuff, and they've actually doubled down on being a performance driven company rather than um, appealing to um, everyday wear, uh, where Nike and Adidas have really been uh, taking share and performing really well. We've been saying, my team and I have been saying for the past couple of years, there are two really big problems uh, at Under Armour. One is Kevin Plank is really hard to work with, and there's been an incredible amount of executive turnover. The second thing is his focus is entirely on building the brand and building really high quality goods, and not focus enough on actually being an adult in how he runs the business. It's just not a smoothly running professional organization. Those two things, if you if you look at this quarter, you actually see a little bit of of silver lining here. So a couple of years ago, they brought in a guy named Patrick Frisk from Aldo Shoes to be the COO. He just passed his two year anniversary, and so tongue in cheek, I'm going to celebrate that he has survived two years working with Kevin Plank. And the good news is Kevin Plank is actually starting to listen to him. So, under Frisk's tenure now, they've reduced the number of SKUs by uh, 40%. They've reduced the, um, the, the types of materials they make product with by 70%, and they've cut vendors by 30%. This has really started to help simplify operations so that they're not doing too many things poorly. They can focus their, uh, their efforts uh, in a narrower range. And the other thing that you see uh, Frisk really pounding on is inventory. Uh, Under Armour had suffered for years from basically just poorly managing its own inventory and flooding the market, which hurts the brand uh, and causes them to have to cut prices, kill gross margins, and flood flood the market. And so, In Q1, you saw inventory uh, decline by 24%. In Q2, you saw it decline by 26% and we saw gross margins actually increase in Q2. So they were able to get some of the inventory out of the out of the channel without just slashing prices. So you are starting to see signs that frisk is having a meaningful impact on how the organization is actually run.
0: When you look at the stock down 12 13% this morning, if you think this is going to continue with Frisk. Um, do you buy shares here, or are there still too many red flags? And I, I bought shares <laughs> at a much higher price. Yeah. So I'll just say for my, you know, for my own sake, I'm not looking to add to a stock that's already down for me. Yeah, I think you need to see a little bit more,
1: um, a little bit more of the good stuff coming out of how they're operating the business. Uh, if we continue to see inventory tick down and gross margins tick up, I do believe that the brand strength here remains uh, and. Eventually, we will see this go from a company that is guiding for three percent sales growth this year back to something that is more attractive, um, which will flow through the financial model and uh, and start to get people's attention again.
0: Procter and Gamble is closing out its fiscal year in style. Fourth quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. P and G has also raised guidance for fiscal year twenty twenty. The stock is up. The stock over the past year. Is up more than forty percent, and Fuego—that is not what we typically expect from consumer products giants like P and G. Yeah, Uh, this quarter was all,
1: and year really was all about uh, broad strength. So, all categories and all regions were up. Uh, The organic sales growth in Q4 of seven percent was the best organic sales growth since two thousand and seven. So, uh, really strong, good all-around performance by Procter and Gamble, and this is another company that we were joking about the three-year transition transformation at Under Armour. This is a similar company. A company is going through a similar thing in 2016, 2017, announced huge restructurings, Um, and really they uh, had started to get disrupted from all sides by startup brands. and decided that they needed to focus uh, their efforts on uh, doing less. So they were going to really back their chosen strong brands and strong categories. And you're really starting to see now the power of when they, uh, when a company focuses its resources on key areas, um, it can actually have a really strong impact. And so, um, you know, Procter and Gamble really just a great quarter. That seven percent growth was split. Healthy in a healthy way between volume, price, and mix. So, uh, really firing on all cylinders.
0: It's funny, because I think back to when we started doing this podcast in January of 2011. Procter & Gamble was a consumer products giant then. It yeah. is now. And yet, the business when we started back then was pretty different, and yeah. I, I think about the changes that PNG has uh, undergone, um, and really what you just talked about for the last three years. Um, it started in smaller ways a couple of years prior to that, because it really is for the for all of its success and all of its size. There used to be a lot more products um there was a whole food division that they had that they just decided we got to get out of this business and as you said they've they've really focused on what they do best which is stuff in the home yeah. home care cleaning products uh home care products um, i did want to ask you though about i mean you talk about how png is under siege from different upstarts one part of their business that The upstarts appear to maybe haven't won outright, but they appear to be winning in a pretty big way is shaving. Yeah. They wrote down, did they write down all of Gillette? Like to the tune of eight billion dollars, I thought I saw that this morning. No, they... I
1: don't think th- I don't think that's right. Grooming was actually up four percent for them. Okay. They have definitely been under fire from these startups like uh, Harry's, Harry's and Dollar Shave Club and that sort of thing. They have responded in kind, and so you can now you know sign up for Gillette uh, subscription service. They certainly got caught a little flat-footed with uh, you know a failure to innovate, um, but you can copy a business model and they have done that and what procter and gamble is incredible at is product development and knowing their customers that has not changed and so they have sort of stopped that bleeding and as you see that you know there's growth now back in grooming that has not been there for a while. They had relied too long on simply raising prices and adding another blade. right? <laughs> and So they're back to a more steady cadence of innovation with much more reasonable pricing. And that hurt them for a while. But we're sort of on the other side of that now, and they're competing more effectively. It's funny you mentioned their business has changed a lot. They have 60% fewer brands. I mean they really narrowed their focus um, to be able to back you know to back winners and uh, and market smartly and you know you own this company I think for you know very simple reasons it should be pretty stable it's a blue chip cash cow and you saw cash flow performance really strong uh, this was their fourth quarter so I'll say this year and they guided for really strong cash flow performance next year and Uh, They've resumed dividend, growing their dividend. It was in 2017 they only raised their dividend one percent. 2018, this is their fiscal 2018, three percent, and this fiscal 2019 was four percent. So things seem to be back in
0: order at PNG. Well, and we've talked before about a company like Pepsi. When they are negotiating with grocery chains across the country, around the world, and they have not just all of these beverages, but they have all of the Frito Lay products, um, so they're operating from a position of strength in terms of where their placement is on the shelf. We'll just think about Procter and Gamble. Yeah. How many? You know, when they're going to negotiate with grocery stores, how much? shelf space they are commanding. It's really pretty incredible. One of the biggest gainers on the New York Stock Exchange today is Trex Company. Shares of Trex are up 16% after second quarter results. This is the outdoor deck company, essentially. Um, you tell me, because this is a company you follow a lot more closely than I do, what, what is driving the stock today? Was the second quarter just that much better than anyone thought it was going to be? Are they raising guidance? You got a couple things at play here. Um,
1: first of all, um, there's about 15% short interest in shares of Trex, oh. so uh, many uh, many investors are using Trex as a way to bet against the housing cycle, to bet against uh, consumer spending, um, the health of the consumer and spending on uh, home projects. Um, as you mentioned, Trex is a, a, a composite decking company. It's basically if you choose to build a deck, you your choices are wood or treks. <laughs> they have no meaningful competition. So um Trex came out, and uh, earlier this year they had launched some new products and actually had um, some supply problems and they couldn't get enough product to market. So sales growth looks pretty muted right now. But uh, I think it was only two or three percent in the quarter. But they guided for twenty five percent growth uh, in Q three and alluded to sort of getting back to more normal growth rates for them in the next couple over the next couple of years, which is sort of uh, low teens. So the out, they, the outlook they see for demand. Uh, For what is now a pretty robust portfolio on sort of the high, medium, and and low levels of composite decking, Uh, they really think that they are going to be able to accelerate uh, market share, uh, uh, stealing market share from wood. That's essentially the the thesis here. Is um, you know the composite the composite holds up better over the lifetime of the deck. It is cheaper and it's easier to maintain. Um, so uh, they have painted a rosy picture, and uh, I think the shorts got caught uh, betting against uh, this company specifically and sort of a turn in consumer spending on the home. Um, yeah, they got they got caught, and so that's why you're seeing the pop here
0: <laughs> so uh, shares are up as I mentioned it's closing in on $80 dollars a share. You look over the past year. It's been as high as ninety it's been as low as fifty uh, it's I mean the chart looks a little bit like a roller coaster is if someone is looking at trex for the first time and thinking about okay this seems like a trend I can get behind and I want to own a few shares for the next five ten years is that the kind of volatility investors should expect or is that a is the past twelve months something of an outlier
1: uh, yeah, I would expect it um, this is generally speaking uh, a High budget purchase item uh, of a one-off nature, so there is no subscription element here that's going to smooth things out. It's not Procter and Gamble.
0: They're not selling laundry detergent. No,
1: no, this is not a fast-moving consumer good whatsoever. Uh, you know, you're spending thousands of dollars um, to to repair a deck. Uh, so I would expect this sort of volatility however this is a good business I mean they the company notches uh, 45% incremental gross margins um, has really healthy profit margins is cash flow generative uh, generate way more cash than they need um, great returns on capital and the thesis here makes it seem as though there is a long runway for growth because you've got wood capturing 80% of the share and uh, Trex has you know claims to have a better mousetrap with no real number clear number two so uh, this is a good business what you're ultimately betting on is that market share gain and you're betting on um, the sort of remodel nesting HGTV movement to continue and um, you know that that spending really seems robust even if housing um, housing Continues to slow slow down. I mean, you saw numbers in Sherwin Williams a week or two ago. Uh, you know, paint sales continue to rise, and and that's mostly there's volume there, but there's a lot of pricing there too. People want to spend on making their homes better. Um, Trex is a very pure, uh, you know, a pure way to express that thesis.
0: A quick shout out to a longtime listener and one of our Motley Fool members, Robert Rosen, who is visiting today from Scottsdale, Arizona. Thanks for hanging out with us, Robert. And he brought Santan beer from right. Arizona, so making <laughs> making several of our colleagues. This very is happy. what this is
1: what your podcast has come to. Um, Visitors
0: bringing beer. Uh, I'll come back more often. you know. People don't have to bring anything when they. We love when people come to visit, but you know if they bring a little something, that's always it's it's always appreciated. (laughs) Um, You're here in from our Colorado office. What is? uh, And I've only been to Colorado a couple of times, and I've enjoyed it immensely uh, when I've been there. What is? What is something? Give me a tip. Give our listeners a tip if they're going to Colorado. Something to do. Something to experience. Oh, uh, well,
1: I'm. I'll I'll go. Generally speaking, uh, driving. Be careful. Um, the scen- it's a cautionary tip. Well, the scenery is so beautiful in Colorado; it's easy to get distracted. <laughs> uh, so, as you're driving through the mountains, uh, you will inevitably find yourself being a looky-loo. And taking in the beauty, and not paying attention to the road. Um, so, so yes, a cautionary tale. But on the flip side, uh, two hours driving in D.C. you might move 12 miles. Two hours driving in Denver gets you to heaven. So it is. Uh, it's well worth the undertaking. Uh, you just have to be a little disciplined.
0: I experienced something similar this past weekend. I was down in Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, the same sort of thing where the you know the mountains are gorgeous, the roads are windy. <laughs> and there were a couple of times when I was driving, I was like, oh, OK, I need to stop looking at the, the gorgeous mountains of Asheville, North <laughs> Carolina. Um, although I will say, for anyone going to Asheville, we talked a little bit about this. Asheville's a really fun city. Um, and I would recommend uh, a Mexican restaurant that I visited called Mountain Madre mm. in Asheville, which was, just had a fantastic meal there. And just outside of Asheville in Black Mountain, uh, in the town of Black Mountain, the Blue Ridge Biscuit Company for one of those breakfasts that will basically set you up so you really don't need to eat the rest of the day.
1: <laughs> since we are, uh, since we're talking biscuits, I'll throw out another Colorado tip: um, the Denver Biscuit Company okay. is known for its uh, biscuits and breakfast sandwiches, and they have an outstanding uh, biscuit cinnamon roll.
0: Oh, nice. You don't seem like so you're I always think of you as a very healthy eater, so I'm surprised that you would indulge in that.
1: Oh 90% of the time I'm healthy. <laughs> so that other ten percent. That other ten, get away from my cinnamon roll.
0: Brian Hinman, thanks for being here. My pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in the Motley Full May informal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's gonna do it for this edition of Market Foolry. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.